Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. Deb, thanks so much for spending some time with us to talk us through your story. Um, not only are we going to talk about your marriage and your divorce and the business that you work in now, I just think there's so much you can teach women about building lives again after going through divorce. So um, you had mentioned to me that you left your marriage after 21 years and yeah which in itself is huge. What I thought was really interesting was the terms that you used around that was to say you felt so much guilt and shame and this was the hardest thing you had ever done. I'm going straight in for the source. <laughs> I'm just going to poke the bruises. Can you tell us why was it why why was it the hardest thing that you've ever done? And then let's unpick some of that guilt and shame and how that played out for you. Absolutely. Look, I, you know, as a little girl, I dreamt of happily ever after, you know, like I probably wasn't overly ambitious. I just thought I want to be married with my Prince Charming, have my perfect kids and everything would work out. I, my parents probably didn't have the best marriage. They moved from England to Australia. Long story. I'll, I won't go too long. Please but do. <laughs> they moved from England to Australia and I think their lives unraveled, right? They were promised the world and all of a sudden they couldn't get work that they wanted. It was totally different. They came in February from the UK to Perth, which is weather like we're experiencing oh, 40 degrees. And, yeah. and, it, and it was... I don't know, their marriage tended that it unraveled. My dad started to drink and it became hell. So I used to look at them and go, I don't want what they're having. Mm. And I thought I was really wise and I could choose the right man that I could live ha happily ever after. Uh, to add into that, I think when I was about 18, I became a born-again Christian, right? So I thought that I would, you know, work on myself, heal all of that stuff, make a good choice. So I, I was very deliberate to choose a man that didn't drink. Yeah, And, you know, I found 21 years later I was living my parents' experience without the alcohol. Oh, wow. Just so, let me from, uh, reverse back a little bit. You'd said um, that their marriage was unravelling and that your dad was drinking and then you went quickly to I could choose the right man. So in reading between the lines, were you projecting then dad is the wrong man? Mum is fine, mum is good, dad's the wrong man? Uh, yeah, I, I probably thought that it was all my dad's fault because he drank. You know, being an adult now, I can see that it was both of them that contributed to to whatever it was. But I just kind of I probably had the thing that if I pick someone different and I was wise enough, I would experience a failed marriage. And, you know, put into that uh, the being a born-again Christian, I thought that God would help me choose this perfect man for me and I would live happily ever after. Yeah. And 
when it wasn't working out and I I was so un, I, honestly I was so unhappy I look back and I wouldn't recognize myself now to the person I was when I was married I used to ask people how can you be happy how is it possible to be happy because I just felt like I wasn't happy and I didn't know how to change that you know you you go to counseling you try all of these things and you're you're still unhappy right and when it comes to the guilt and the shame, yeah, I took vows when I was, you know, I met my husband when I was 18, so how on earth you can be wise at 18 and know what you want for the rest of your life is, is a little bit crazy. I married him at 18 and, you know, you don't know what you want at 18 or 20. No, you don't, but it is possible to evolve with somebody. It's more like it, it is. And, and I found that, you know, because I took these vows, mm. for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, <laughs> better or worse, I felt that it needed to be forever. And another thing, yeah, sorry, I'm going all over the place, but my mum actually left my dad okay. when I was 17. So we literally packed up the house and he came home to a couch, a fridge and a bed. We moved to South Perth for six months. It was an amazing six months. But in that time, my mum found God and she felt God told her to go back to my dad. Right. So the drinking stopped, but the unhappy relationship stayed there to some degree. So I think I also felt that if I left the marriage, I might be forced to go back or the sky would fall in or do you know what I mean? There was so many... I just felt in some ways that I got to the same age. It was almost like I was repeating her story. Yeah. When you were, you said that you became a born again Christian at 18. Yeah. And that was while your mum did that. So, yeah. So, so, okay. You know, my mum, my mum did, uh, my brother did, and then my, my dad did. And that was what changed him. So I'm like, if anything can stop my dad drinking and change him, this has to be a good thing. Right. But, yeah. uh, so I, I think the guilt and the shame was that how, with all that I did, couldn't I make my marriage work? How, you know, like when I was so unhappy, I remember that we got counselling, it made it worse. You know, we, we, we tried. But I often think about, you know, I've, I've trained a lot since and I probably think different type of counselling might have worked or we'd left it so long before we went to the counselling that those problems were so ingrained that we just couldn't see a, a way through them. And was your ex-husband part of the Born Again community? Yeah, so I, I met him and I married him in that. But, you know, yeah. as life went on, um, we still believed in some of that stuff, but it wasn't as big a part of our lives. Okay. But and you were married for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> and I probably, do you know, I probably I was unhappy for a long time yeah. trying trying to make it work. And look, I remember reading someone's post the other day saying most people when they leave a marriage have wanted to leave for a lot longer than the time that they've left, right? Okay. And, you know, when people say, couldn't you have made it work? And, look, I read that post and I still felt a little bit of guilt and shame thinking, couldn't I? But I know I couldn't. Right. 
And even if you could have, is it worth being unhappy for so long just to stay together in a marriage that, you know, is a contract that wasn't working for you? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, so, I, you know, I, I suppose it takes two people to mar- make marriage work, right? And if, if I see this often that the, the guy will say, well, I'm happy and the woman's not happy. So if if one of you is that unhappy and you can't come to a way to be happy together, you can't change the other person. No, you can't. You can't change the other person. You can't uh, fix a relationship. One person can't fix a relationship. It yeah, needs absolutely. two people working together for sure. Did your ex-husband tell you he was happy in the marriage? Do you think he was happy? He did say he was happy in the marriage, which then threw me because I'm like, how can I be so unhappy and you can be happy? Yeah. Was there a catalyst for you to end it? Again, poking straight at the (laughs) tough stuff. (laughs) Oh, look, I just, I think it had gone on for so long. And look, I I had actually tried to leave my marriage a year before I did. Mm -hmm. And, And we told the kids I'd found somewhere to go live, but I couldn't do it. So I stayed an extra year. And I thought, I'm going to do everything I can to try and make this work. And I still didn't make it work. <laughs> Language is interesting, right? It really is. I, I wasn't sure if you were aware of that, that you didn't make it work. No, Deb, you didn't make it work because it wasn't up to you to make it work. No, no, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, how old were your children when your marriage ended? Um. So... My my son was thirteen. My um my daughters were seventeen and eighteen. Okay. So I remember my mum saying to me, "Well, can't you just wait five years for your son to be okay?" Okay. Do you feel that he would have been more or less okay five years later? I, do you know? I think the timing doesn't matter. I think how you deal with the situation matters. Mm-hmm. And if I could go back in time. I probably would have loved to have worked for someone like you that I could have dealt with the situation like an adult rather than blowing things up and breaking things. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? You have fallout from uh, how you end things when you feel unable to end them. And I, I wish that I'd just ended it straightforwardly. Yeah. How did your children react when you said you were going to leave? before you did so the year before you did actually leave the year before look it it was it was really hard like it was harder the older my kids were than my my son because they all they'd ever known is scenes together so they kind of didn't react wonderfully and and then when you see that you're going to hurt your children there is a lot of guilt associated with the hurting people you really love absolutely but um, your son handled it quite well. Yeah, look, he, he could kind of go, I could understand. We we had a chat. And I I often think if I'd have left at that point and and had a way and a process to manage that, it would have been a lot easier. Okay. Do you still have a relationship with your ex-husband now? Are you still in touch? Um, we, we can be at the same place and, and we're good. Okay. So I think for a long time he he would have happily 
taken me back. You know, even, and so for him it was painful still to to be friends or to be around me. To be in contact, yeah. Yeah. Has he yeah. gone on to another relationship since? No. And I, and I think some, some of that was a bit of the difficulty when you, when you look at someone else and you see that they're they're not living a life they're happy with, I felt it hard not to feel responsible for that too. Yeah, of course. Tell me about that. How have you what? How have you distanced yourself from that um, taking on responsibility for somebody else's happiness, which is one hundred percent not your responsibility? Well, exactly. And I think no, not not I think I know from my heart, that we're not responsible to make anyone happy. I, I wish that I'd have always known that, if that makes sense. Like we're all responsible to make ourselves happy. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not responsible for his happiness and he has choices that contribute to that. I have choices that contribute to that. Yeah, I'm... But, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um. It's interesting how other people, when they talk to you, feed into that script, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Give me an example. What's what's on your mind? Yeah, your family and the people around you. But, you know, the one thing that when I work with people nowadays is about being happy in yourself first and you create healthy relationships with, with two whole people rather than you're not responsible for someone else's happiness at all. Yeah, let's talk about what you do now. I, this is beautiful. <laughs> um, so you, why don't you tell us what, what you do, Deb? Okay, so I nowadays I'm a dating relationship coach and I help people. I did start off helping people date and get back out there, but the, the stuff I like to help people do is I've, I found in my dating experience, you know, four years, the first man that I met that I went and dated, my kids end up going, he's just a chatty version of dad wow. and I'm like how did I leave a marriage and end aren't up? I smarter yet <laughs> I'm not 18 anymore <laughs> after all that work how on earth did I end up in the same situation so I kind of did a lot of study research of, of how how to change that and you know, with, with people working those patterns to help people change to create a relationship they want. And sometimes we think that we're wise and, you know, I, I did it twice. <laughs> Nowadays, you know, having worked through a lot of that stuff myself, it, it's changed my results and I help other people do the same thing. Particularly I found that guilt and shame tripped me up for a long time. Yeah, can we... Um... I don't want. I don't want to dwell too much on on shame or guilt, um, but I do think it's really helpful for people to hear. So, our listeners, my clients, um, people that I work with before they get to come to to you, um, yep. you're kind of stuck in that space of grieving a marriage. So, mm-hmm. you know, either desperately unhappy that it's ended because it wasn't their choice, yeah. or desperately unhappy that they're causing pain to those around them when it is their choice, right? There's there's guilt in that, but all of this is really part of the grieving process. Um, so I want to understand how did you manage to get through that and find the strength to create a positive choice for yourself to end this marriage that wasn't working 
do you feel that the how did the grief play out for you both before you left the marriage and after? Uh, I think the, the the grief is the death of the life that you wanted, the death of the family that you wanted to have. You know, you see those couples that are married for 40, 50 years and the paper on the news and you go, I'm never going to be that. You go to people's kids' weddings and go, well, we're never going to be. So it, was, it, it really was grieving a life that I thought that I would have and not knowing how your life looks going forward. And I remember people saying how, you know, walking away is easy. For me, I think I said to you, it was the hardest thing that I ever did. It was beyond hard because of that guilt and shame. Could I have changed it? Could I have done something better? Was there some way or something that I could have done that would change that? So you're kind of walking away and almost like I'm, I felt, and I wasn't, I felt like I was killing my marriage and was the one responsible for, you know, what came after that. So not only do you have the grief of it ending, you have the shame that you were the one that chose to do that. Yeah, yeah. And how long, you're saying what came after that, was there quite a difficult period then? Look, I... I felt, you know, I, I probably went through a lot of self-sabotage in my own life because of the guilt and the shame that I I felt like, and, and I know that I caused other people in my life to be unhappy by my choice, so I didn't feel like I deserved to be happy. But that was a very unconscious thing. And I was also really scared that's oh, so relatable. It really is so relatable. Yeah. Scared of being in another relationship because I spent 21 years of my, my life with someone mm-hmm. and it was really hard to leave. Like it was it was so hard that I don't think that I ever wanted to be in a position where I might have to do that again. You know, so it, it was easy not to go there or maybe, you know, I went through a series of dating commitment phobe guys or people who were slightly unavailable because I was unavailable. I was as scared as they were. So, you know, lots of walls, lots of barriers, lots of, you know, um, pushing people away by self-sabotaging, you know, maybe wanting someone to unconditionally accept you, accept you but they're not going to do that unless you do it yourself. No, absolutely. And I found that I had to let go of that guilt and shame and no one really tells you how to do that. They go, forgive yourself. <laughs> it, it takes more than just the words to forgive yourself. It, it, it is a bit of a process. It's a practice, absolutely. And a practice. And, and it comes up from time to time. Like someone will say something to you, someone will... You, you'll see a post and it will come up and you have to kind of go, oh, I forgive myself for the choices I made. And sometimes too, I know that the person I am now is not the person I was then. The person that made those choices was doing the best they could with what they had at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can only make your decisions based on the information you have at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, situations change. This is why we say, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty because you have yeah. a different perspective entirely. 
um, not to mention the fact that you're more evolved as a human. Yeah. You say it's the hardest thing that you've ever done. Would you would you have done something differently if you um, – are you pleased you've gotten through it? I guess I'm trying to ask it, even though it's the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah. Look, coming out the other side. And look, see, this is, I'm, I'm going to answer a roundabout way. Please. I was at a wedding the other week with people that have found love the second time around. And in their wedding vows, they go, I've met the love of my life and my soulmate in, in front of their children. And I'm like, I would find that hard to say in vows because of the people that might affect. Yeah. So I am really happy that I'm in the place that I am and I know that it's exactly what I had to do. Yeah, just thinking about what those vows, I'm not sure I believe in a love of a life. Me neither, me neither. I've had many loves and I don't just mean romantic loves, that mm -hmm. just really, really big love for you know, platonic yes. love for friendships. For I, I don't want to hold myself back from all of the love options. Um, so I don't want yeah. there to be just a single soulmate or a single <laughs> love of my life. <laughs> I mean, either, and I absolutely don't believe that. So I, I know that I made the right choice. Yeah, I and also I like to think that I'm the love of my life, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And I think that when you're the love of your life, a lot of your choices become different as well. Indeed. So tell me more about that. What do you think? Do you know, I, look, I think that when you love and respect yourself, you don't feel responsible for making other people happy either. And it changes the dynamic. Um, I used to I used to think that if I could do and be better, everything would be fine. And I didn't realise how much of a victim that is as well. It's very disempowering. That's right. Very disempowering because it just made me continually feel like, like I wasn't good enough, no matter how I tried, no matter what I did. And you know, I, I probably didn't do what I needed to do. If I, if, if, if you look back with the, no one teaches you the skills of how to have a wonderful relationship. And you know, I've, I've done training with the Gottman Institute since, and they talk about how sixty-nine percent of conflict is unsolvable. And once you realise that, because that you need different. to make peace with it, yeah. yeah. And kind of have a process and, and what we expect from our relationships is, is crazy sometimes. So I, I do know that you can come out of marriage and you'll have another relationship and it will bring your stuff up. <laughs> yeah, like, let's talk about that. You were saying that you kind of invited your, your ex-husband back into your life as a new partner. In what ways does a new relationship bring up old stuff? Well, I, I think that maybe the other person acts in a way that the person you divorced acted yeah. and you can make that mean something about you. See, no one's really going to understand me. No one's really going to uh, love me unconditionally. There's something wrong with me. Here it is again. Right. Interesting. But sometimes it's the actions we bring into that because Often we project what we want onto the other person. They don't mean that at all. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you understand what I mean, like, or if you love me, you'd understand me. Well, you have to tell people what you're thinking and what you're feeling and not expect people to be a mind reader in it, in a, in a relationship. So it's all of those 
I don't know, wonderful relationship skills that you can build to have a toolkit to deal with some of these things in a new relationship. And I I think I remember when I was married and not so happy, watch The Notebook. Yeah. I hated The Notebook, right? (laughs) I feel raved about this movie and I'm like, no, they fell in love. I told them, told me how it's going to work for the next 20 years (laughs) and they missed a whole chunk of the stuff that might have been helpful to see. (laughs) they just fast forward to the end I'm like okay um that that's interesting so um you must work with quite a lot of divorced women and would that be would that be fair yes yes yeah and men okay great and are you seeing um some common patterns that come through when people are looking to bring somebody new into their lives and feeling a bit um, uncertain about it. What kind of common themes do you see from people who've come from a broken marriage? I hate that term. I really hate it, but it's a common (laughs) one. Um, So they're divorced, thinking about maybe it's time to dip my toe back in the water in the dating pool. How? What mistakes are most often made, do you think, by people going back out there? Look, there's, there's a few. I think sometimes people think they're ready before they're actually ready. So if they haven't taken the time to repair some of the hurt, guilt and shame, they'll get into the pattern of self-sabotaging. They'll get into the pattern of choosing unavailable people or people that reject them and they end up feeling worse about themselves. And there's a number of reasons why people do that. You know, if you believe you're unlovable, you create, and at a very, often this stuff is very unconscious and people that I've worked with don't really realise what's going on underneath the surface. You know, they still feel unlovable, so they bring someone in their lives that proves they're unlovable. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so confirmation bias, isn't it? It's this This is true and therefore I'm going to collect all of the evidence that's yeah proves to me that I'm right that this is true Mm. so what I find what people don't repair they repeat great and do you have techniques on how to help people repair well the number one thing take the time to grieve yeah and be kind to yourself as you do yeah and and grief is an interesting thing I mean my mum passed away last year and you just have moments where you you might want to cry over something, a memory comes up, you miss the person. There's all of these feelings. Too often people suppress what they feel yes. and they don't allow it. And, you know, you suppress, it's like shoving that beach ball under the water. It comes, you know, flying. I use that analogy also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I honestly, sometimes people have to, not feel to get through what they're going through. I know when I went through a divorce that I probably changed the group of friends that I was around for a while because, you know, coming, a lot of my friends were Christian. There was a lot of shame from them directed at me. And judgment, I imagine. And a lot of judgment. And I was judging myself. I didn't need the judgment of the people around me. So I, I literally had to go and create a new group of friends. So I had some support system around so I could grieve and not be around people who continually judge me about the choice that I made because you kind of wanted people to trust that you wouldn't you wouldn't go through a divorce if if 
you didn't need to. No, that's right. It's yeah, it's not a frivolous choice that we we just wake up on a Wednesday and decide <laughs> I'd like to add divorce to my list of life life achievements. Exactly. <laughs> no. And you know what's interesting that I find with um, you know, some of the men that I work with consistently is when they've been left by someone, yeah, you'll ask them the question, well, you know, did they tell you? And it goes, yep, they used to tell me all the time they weren't happy. They used to tell me all the time they were leaving. And it was a bit like the boy that cried wolf. We didn't believe they'd do it until they did it and then we're devastated and blindsided, blindsided. <laughs> which is a really interesting thing yeah. that people don't always hear what you're saying when you're going through that stuff. That's right. So then they would have to grieve a little bit differently. Yes. Imagine. So um, a lot of the women I speak to, um, the grief happens in the lead up to the divorce very, mm-hmm. very often. So in in my experience, more often than not, the woman is aware that the marriage is coming to an end and it's mm-hmm. just about finding the time and deciding how to how to make it play out in the most amicable, you know, less devastating way as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing that, she's thinking through all of the options and she's experiencing the grief as it's happening, that abyss of the future, mm-hmm. you know, blanking out what was going to be the future and, um, you know, rewriting, getting comfortable with the idea that you don't know what the future is going to look like for a while. That is a big part of the, the grief journey, isn't it? What, what did you call it? It was like um, the the death of the um, death of your dreams and your hopes well, yeah, the, the, the relationship that you thought you were going to have or the life you thought yeah. you were going to have that's right but what I do find with some of those women is down the track that they have grieved as they've gone along but there's still bits of grief that come up residual yeah. and and maybe that they haven't totally dealt with and again if you if you think going into a new relationship is going to hurt you you're going to avoid it at all odds so you know sometimes shifting that shifts everything that you attract and whether you can let love in yeah yeah it's it's sometimes a bit like love trauma right yeah that's right and it's hard to get comfortable with uncomfortable feelings because the only way to stop that beach ball from bursting out from under the water is to actually acknowledge there's a beach ball and let it be for a while. Yeah. Stop trying to push it away. And it that does take practice. It, it is a muscle to be exercised, mm-hmm. to sit with uncomfortable feelings, allow yourself to grieve, allow yourself to feel that shame or mm-hmm. guilt and make choices anyway, to move forward anyway. Yes. Um, yeah. Tell me. Go on. Oh, sorry. I was going to say I like the, I, can't, I don't know if I can say it properly, the Hono, po, Hono process, the Hawaiian prayer. Where about it, the breath, the breath. Well, no, what you do is you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I forgive you, Um, I love you, thank you. There's there's four that you say, I'm I'm sorry, yes, please forgive me, thank you, I love you, yes, and and really look at yourself and mean that each day and feel how that feels to be able to do that. And it's amazing how that can shift those feelings for people. It's extremely powerful. I agree. I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know if you read the research behind it, that the guy had actually worked with people that were 
he'd said that to people's pictures and he didn't work with the people and they were in um, a mental institution that no one could work with the prisoners in Hawaii in this particular place. Yeah. And he literally said these things over the pictures and the place closed down. Because they didn't need to keep people there anymore. Yeah, because him doing that for them must have changed something, which sounds amazing. Just energetically, that is incredible. Energetically, yeah. So sometimes it's not, it's releasing the energy attached to something. Yeah, it's a bit like the loving kindness meditation, isn't yeah. it? You don't have to be around them, you don't have to speak to them, but to be able to imagine somebody and sending loving kindness energy yes. to them yeah. and calm the way you feel about them, which might be in reality angry or hurt or pain, it releases that energy from you and it also sends positive energy in their direction so that they're not uh, fighting yeah. against you, not building up a, they don't have that resistance to fight against. Yes. They're really powerful techniques. Um, I do love a bit of woo and I do think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it gets into that territory. I, I'm I'm in no way a practitioner of energy healing, but I'm a big fan of learning as much as I can about it and mm. taking the techniques that work and, and applying yes, them. Yeah. yeah. Deb, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the the life you have now. You're, you know, you're no longer feeling shame or guilt about ending a marriage that didn't work for you. You're working with people to help them find love again, which must be so rewarding. Yes. Um, are you in a relationship? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so you managed to overcome your limitations and your self-sabotage and find somebody wonderful, I hope? Yes, yeah. So I've, I've been together for a couple of years now and I'm I'm really happy. That's and so I, it's, I don't know, sometimes I find it interesting. He, when I learned to accept myself, he does accept and like some of the things that I used to find hard to accept, which I love. <laughs> That's interesting. That's yeah. great. So yeah, no, it's 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 wonderful, and I feel happy. And I look back at myself how many years ago when I didn't know how to be happy, and I don't even think I'd know how to recognize that person now. Yeah, isn't that a shame? What would you tell her if you could go back and speak to her? I I'd probably tell her to learn to love herself and accept herself, and know that. I, you know, she's not responsible for making everyone else happy. Yeah. And how old are your children now? Ah, oh, they're in their 30s. Incredible. <laughs> and are they married or dating? Oh, they're, all, they're all with partners and they're all pretty happy with their partners at the moment. So it's lovely to see. That's beautiful. Now, Deb, if you had any um, advice for someone who's going through a bit of a shitty marriage or divorce right now and they maybe can't imagine what it's going to look like at the other side, do you have any suggestions or advice on how they could do divorce right right now? Well, I would say go work with someone like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so I'll record that. Let's go back. Say that again. <laughs> Having the help and the support to get through it would have been an amazing thing to do because you're navigating something that you don't really know how to navigate, you know, and look, I look back and think if I'd have had some support, I felt like I was leaving a marriage with no support with anyone around me other than going, we should make it work. And I think people traditionally go to counsellors and 
I think I said I, I went to a counsellor and we argued more after that counsel than ever anything else because people leave it too long to go to counselling. So it's about yeah. finding the right person that can help and support you through a process. And I don't always think you know what you want at that point, do you? No, that's right. It's It can be such a lonely time. And I think one of the differences between counselling and, and traditional therapy and coaching and even you know, coaching and mentorship is that with counselling and therapy, you're looking to those patterns of the past and you're looking to see what we can resolve that's quite deep. Um, and it's really important work, but you're not always in the space to do the important work if you're just, yeah. you know, at that survival piece, whereas a coach will help you set manageable small goals. Like what's what's the goal that we're aiming for right now? How do we stay focused on that? What tools do you need to get to where you want to get to short term yeah. do the unraveling and the, the deep work when you're ready not necessarily when you're you know, going through the emotional trauma because I do think the emotions are so big at that point you, you don't know how to deal with it I remember not knowing how to deal with it not knowing what to do only knowing that I had to do it yeah and You've done a beautiful I, job yeah and I'm so glad that I've come out the other end mm. and I do feel like it's a privilege to help people now to, you know, come out the other side and and kind of help them deal with any of the residual stuff from that. Yeah. Because they're, I don't know, like I see too many people that maybe go, oh, I'll just be happy alone. But there is something wonderful about having someone who's got your back, coming home to your best friend, having someone that can support you and make you laugh and all of those things that and enjoy seeing you grow as well I think yes. that's gorgeous absolutely so you know it may seem hard now but you know it could come out the other end so much I don't know like I, I look back and I think like I said I wouldn't recognize myself and I am I wouldn't even need to ask someone what happy is now because I live a life that I'm happy and I don't think for any of us we need to live a life that we're not happy with. I think that's beautiful. Deb, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and spending some time with me. Tell me, how can people find you for when they're ready to dip their toe in the dating pool again? And they will be. <laughs> how can they find you? So they can find me uh, on my website, debbyrivers.com.au. Okay. And on the socials? Socials um, at Debbie Rivers Dating Expert. Beautiful. I'm going to copy these in the show notes so people can find you. Um, thanks again for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright. I look forward to connecting with you there.